Hello world, my name is Klaus Hostel, and I'm the director of the College of Extraordinary Experiences. You're listening to the business of Extraordinary Experiences. Today, my guest is Christy Cleveland Callanan. Not Callahan, but Callanan. Almost the same, but not quite. Now, Christy is cool for a lot of reasons, but a couple of the ones that float to the top of her resume are that she used to be in charge of StarWars.com, which is something that usually gets people to sit up and go, oh, wow, nerd credit right there. She also helped the world-leading game company Blizzard launch their Overwatch League, and once upon a time, many years ago, she had a past as a dark-souled vampire. For fun, of course, not for real. Christy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Did that sound super professional? That sounded super professional, right? It sounded great. <laughs> Christy, let's start where most people would expect us to, the vampires. Take me back to, to <laughs> why, why, why be a vampire for fun? Oh my God. Okay. Well, I think you also have to let people know that it was LARPing, yes, live action yes. role-playing, right? So we got to yes. give them that context. And for those that don't know what live action role-playing is, it's rather than sitting down at a table um, and with a sheet and rolling some dice like you do with D&D, uh, you actually get in costume and you like walk around and you act things out. And it's a lot of improvisational theater. So, um, you know, uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of people do it because they love role-playing. Uh, when I was introduced to it, I had no idea even like Dungeons and Dragons existed at tabletop role-playing, no clue whatsoever. Uh, I was 17. I was in Portland, Oregon for my grandfather's funeral. And my cousin, Allison, took me out to coffee with some people and, you know, in the States where I'm from, uh, it's a big thing to go to these 24 hour cheap restaurants like Denny's. This one was called Sherry's and, you know, you drink coffee all night and get caffeinated and somehow think that this is really good for your 17 year old body to be up till the break of dawn and having drank like five pots of coffee with people. And, uh, some of her friends that joined us happened to be in the LARPing and they described it. And I remember thinking, this might be a really nice escape from dealing with my grandfather's death from cancer and dealing with my mother who, you know, was not having a great time. And so, uh, I went, uh, one of, one of the people made me up and like did my makeup and, and really wear makeup. And I was a tomboy and I got to wear a pretty dress and then, you know, I got to pretend I was someone else. And so I think it started fundamentally as escape but it also it also became um, a creative release as well. Um, and I think uh, both of those things are really good until escape becomes uh, not so good, where you're not facing reality. And I definitely did get to that point where it was like, oh, LARPing was my whole life. Uh, and did that for a couple of years until uh, it, it couldn't be anymore. And I just bailed and disappeared on an entire community that had known me for 10 years um, or had known me for like five years. And I bailed on them and no one knew what happened to me for 10 years until someone found me on Facebook. <laughs> and then it started up again and I started LARPing again. Uh, and once again, I started up LARPing again as a form of escape because I had been diagnosed with cancer. So I thought, hmm, I should do something. 
uh, I should try and unwind and relax while dealing with cancer. And uh, it started up again. I escaped and then realized I was using it as an escape. So I think a, a couple of things to take away from that. One, of course, is the obvious, which is, yeah, escape is good, but too much escape probably keeps us a little bit away from reality. I think that's a useful advice for any one of us. Definitely. Whether it's LARPing or golf or, or theater for that matter. But what some of this, because this stepping into imaginary worlds, whether you're a fancy dress vampire or a space captain or, or somebody sitting down and playing computer games, what has this given you that you've taken with you job-wise? Job-wise? Um... I think something that a lot of people who do LARP beyond just playing, but get into the organization and the story construction of it, uh, they, they take on organizational skills, they take on leadership skills, and if they really want to, they take on um, conflict resolution skills, something that I'm actually really envious of you for, because you really know how to handle sticky situations where people's emotions are running wild and they need to be calmed down, they need to be reassured, and they, they need to feel safe and secure. Um, and I don't think I'm very good at that part, but you know, I can definitely construct an event. Uh, so I, I think those are probably the three fundamentals that I've taken away from them, even though I'm not really good at one of them. <laughs> Thank you for those words. And I, I'd say you're probably better than most. And, and But it provides a, a nice segue into another thing that we definitely need to touch on. Disney, StarWars.com. <laughs> uh, when I uh, first crossed paths with you, you casually mentioned, oh, I'm like, I'm in charge of StarWars.com. And of course, my jaw hit the floor. That That's a reaction you've gotten a lot of times. But it's also a job that demands some of the things you just mentioned that it demands the organizational skills, it demands the leadership, the storytelling, and sometimes the conflict resolution. Tell us about being the product manager for StarWars.com and more, because I know that was not the only thing you did at Disney. Um, well, product manager might not be a term that a lot of people are familiar with or a job that many are familiar with. Um, a product manager is, there are many definitions of it. Uh, I think the one that you're most commonly going to hear is that we're all about value and creating value for customers and value for users, right? And what that means is we create cool things that uh, people use. So a product manager is behind, um, say, we're using Zoom right now. There's probably multiple product managers who are very involved in how uh, Zoom is made, how Zoom is constructed for users. Uh, like you and I, who need to know how to use it, uh, who need to have different functionality. And they're also paying attention to the market of um, uh, the market of video conferencing and the trends that are happening, right? And so uh, that's pretty much what I do. And I can break it actually down into three really core things that a product manager has to do. It's very simple to understand. Oh, um, before you get started, I have to yeah. say, I do a lot of three questions about this or three questions about that. So the fact that you Ooh. yourself are going to break it down into three, I have, uh, I'm doing jazz hands right now, which nobody can see because this is a <laughs> podcast, but this is perfect. I couldn't have asked for better. Tell me about product management in three core parts. Well, you know, three is the magic number. 
it's easy for people to remember and it's a rhetorical device. So three is always good if you can break it down into three things. All right, product manager and three things. One, uh, we're charged with building the right thing. Two, we're charged with executing a clear roadmap. And three, we have to say no a lot. <laughs> and that is literally the product manager job at its core. <laughs> Let's jump into those in detail. Start with the first one. Tell me about we have to make sure to do the right, not do the right thing, but create the right thing or build the right thing. Yeah, I mean, if you build the wrong thing, no one's going to use your product. You're not going to make money and everyone's out of a job, right? <laughs> no one's going to find value in what you're doing. So if you're not building the right thing to solve someone's problem, uh, then, then you're not doing the right thing, right? You're not giving them value. And so, you know, we have a lot of levers that we can pull as product managers to figure out what building the right thing is. Uh, data is a really big one that you'll hear from a lot of product managers, whether, um, you know, whether it's hard data or soft data. Um, it, there is uh, user research, user interviews. Um, the big one is also company goals. That's what uh, I pay a lot of attention to. What does the company want to achieve? What are our goals? And how does my product vision of building the right thing align with that? So there's, there's a lot of talk of alignment and making sure that you're running in step with your business. Because, you know, like currently um, I'm a senior product manager at an app company or a fitness app called Freeletics. And, you know, part of, most of what we do is um, it's fitness and it's nutrition, and we're starting to go into mindfulness as well. So we have this beautiful triad um, that really focuses on what our core value is for our users, which is um, helping people become the best versions of themselves, uh, whether that's you know eating right, uh, losing weight, and, and you know calming their mind. Right? However, you want to become the best version of yourself. Here we are hoping to give it to you. And we have these three different things that we do and then we offer, but how do we know what's the right thing to build? Right? So we have to make these decisions. Um, so two is executing that clear roadmap. You have to make these decisions, but you also have to know where you're going. Um, one of the Coveys, I can't remember which, uh, Stephen, the other one, uh, said you, you can't hit a target that you can't see, right? So you have to know in the long term where you're going and you have to plan that. And that's where your roadmap comes in and you have to execute on it. I mean, like you have to actually do this shit. Can I cuss on your? Oh, yes. <laughs> and fucking tastic. <laughs> this, is, this is like HBO. Okay. okay. So it's suddenly. Off some of the American audience. <laughs> HBO has a good American audience, so I assume we do as well. We are listened by millions of people, I assume. And if somebody chooses not to listen because we say fuck on the show or cussing of, of other kinds, that's, well, that's my problem. But it's also a little bit theirs. At least that's my uh, my illusion. Okay, so now, now I get to loosen up and I get to be the real Christy. Fantastic. See. Thank you. So, um, so yeah, you have to, you have to have a path that you're going on, you have to know where you're going and then you have to actually do it, right? That's the third step or second step. The third is saying no a lot. And this is absolutely the most important and the least done because I don't know if anyone out there is really comfortable with saying no, 
there might be some people with bravado who are like, yeah, I love saying no, but I'm going to call you on your bullshit. It's really actually not pleasant to tell anyone no. But if you can't say no, then, you know, your roadmap is not going to be clear. You're not really going to know where you're going. And then you're not going to build the right thing because you're saying yes to everything, right? So you have to say no, like 90% of the time. No, I'm sorry, CEO, we can't build that. No, I'm sorry, director of product, we can't build that. No customer service, I'm sorry, we can't build that. And, and I know it would make your life so much easier if we were to spend all of our resources doing it, but we can't, and I'm sorry. So it's a lot of letting people down uh, in order to do the right thing in the long term. I guess that, that's my job. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And I guess when, when you describe it that way, I get this image of you sitting as a spider in a web and everybody coming both from the top and, and be below and saying, oh, but Christy, could we integrate this feature? It would be really cool. And you say, no, because it'll cost us, it'll cost us speed. And somebody comes from above and say, oh, could you maybe change it because it'll make everybody happier? And you say, no, because it'll delay us six months, that sort of thing because you're the one who has the eye on the ball in a way that is exclusively on this product, not on the company, somebody else has that, but on this product. So you try to kind of make sure it doesn't get weighted down by too many concerns and remains sleek and pure like a stallion. Yes. Is, is that a way of looking and see, I got to put in a sleek, pure stallion as part of your job metaphor. And uh, I think that, <laughs> That is something everyone should have. If your job cannot be described using a stallion metaphor some way, then you should try to make it. <laughs> and I think I, I often think in a metaphor of that I'm, I'm building a Formula One uh, race car. See, so that's, that's how I think stallion. about it. <laughs> yes, a mechanical Ferrari stallion. See, oh, my favorite team. <laughs> A I like that. <laughs> that is lovely advice and very usable. And I think part of it, I guess, is I've been an entrepreneur for, for all of my life, basically, at least all of my adult life. And, and what I see with really good product managers is that in some certain sense, they are some, they have some of the entrepreneurial function just inside a company that pulling all the threads together and keeping an eye on the ball while also actually answering to bosses, but not too much. As you say, you say no to above as well. And I think that must be a super demanding role. How have you, because at least when you're the, when you're the overall CEO, you get to say, ha ha, we do it my way. This is the stallion and this is where it's going. And it may not be smart, but at least nobody's gonna tell you not to, especially in a small company. Oh, you, I, I think if you have good employees, they'll tell you not to. I, and to be fair, they have many, many times. <laughs> no matter who I've worked with, they've told me no lots of times. And I've said, oh, okay, you're the expert. And then I've gone over and drawn stallions in the corner and nothing has changed. Bless how, you. How Bless have, you for that, though. <laughs> how have you dealt, on a, on a more serious note, how have you dealt with that pressure of being in the middle, of being the one to kind of own the results, but also say no a lot? I, I understand that pressure, but how have you dealt with it? Not well. <laughs> and there you Not. have it, listeners. Good advice. For <laughs> Not well. <laughs> I mean, um, no, it's, I've been doing this shit for 11 years now. Um, I'll be 11 years at the end of this year. And incidentally, uh, I, I got into product management by bootstrapping 
uh, my own startup, an analytics startup with my business partner, Jason. But, um, you know, I would say only in the last year um, have I started dealing with it well. And a lot of it is a shift in how I've decided to change living my life, uh, change my environment, and stop chasing chasing things that don't actually matter to me and align with my values. They were aligning with, um, for lack of a really a better way of saying it, and probably this is this is not an elegant way of saying it, is the American way of doing business. Ooh. And <laughs> um, you know, uh, I was working really crazy hours. Um, not not really at Disney, I have to say. I wasn't working crazy hours at Disney, and Disney was incredibly pleasant. Uh, they were they were very much take care of yourself first, take care of your family second, then you know take care of your job third. And and I loved that, and that was the first time that I had ever been introduced to that concept because before it was you know I would get calls Sunday morning at seven a.m. You know why the fuck are the servers down? I'm like, dude, am I your ops team? No, I'm your product manager. Call your fucking ops team and ask why the servers are down, right? And um, and and it was just I was always, for better or worse, like the main point of contact when you know sh- shit went off the rails, and I I didn't like that. Um, I also did not like the dynamics of um, of executives in America being so profit driven. Uh, it was all about money. Even if, even if your main KPI, uh, your key performance indicator, uh, was not money or conversion rate, if it was engagement or whatever, it it didn't matter. It was just so focused on money, and it it took me, you know, almost ten years to realize those are not my values as a product manager or as as Christy. So I needed to make the conscious effort to change. And that's when I started dealing with this a lot better because I really, uh, to be a bit spiritual, I I hit the ground on my knees saying, there's got to be a better way to live. Uh, There's got to be a better way to be a product manager and do what I love than how I'm doing it now. And before before diving a little bit into the dark side, because we'll get there, there's oh, there's, there's, oh I always talk about the dark side with people here. There's plenty, and of, you should. And we you, should. You you one hundred percent should. But before we get into that, let's for a moment paint the rosy picture of today because it is quite nice. Right now, you've okay. moved from from uh, the West Coast, Los Angeles. West, yes, and uh, yep. you you now live in Munich, Germany. Mm-hmm. Pretty big step. You used to be Christy Cleveland. You're now Christy Cleveland Callanan. And there's a certain <laughs> Zach to blame for that. Shout out to Zach. Thanks for doing this. Everybody loves the great, you. The greatest husband. <laughs> and you're doing something completely different. You're still the product manager, but you're actually a happy one, not just an experienced and cool one. And yeah. give us a couple of tips for uprooting your life and still remaining in the same business, but changing everything else. This is where you could do one of those three tips sort of things. um, Well, uh, you know, it's really funny is that we just, we just hired another American 
uh, at Freeletics and she's moving from Seattle to Munich. And she asked me the same thing before accepting the job. How do you do this move? How do you move? How'd you move from Los Angeles where you're born and raised to a completely different country, a different city, a very different city, right? And I'm like, I'm, I'm the worst person to ask. So there's no three pointers here, my friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> you said not, you said not um, well. You're on your own. No. Yeah. Um, no, I told her, uh, you know, the R-rated version of Nike, just fucking do it. Uh, I, I just fucking did it. I didn't even think about it. Uh, you know, Freelance Recruiter found me on LinkedIn. And my first reaction was, oh, there's no way some company in Munich is going to like hire me. That's way too cool. And uh, everything just aligned flawlessly. There was never a single problem in, in getting over here. And I just knew it was right. I knew it was the right thing to do. And, and I just did it. It was so easy, which is looking back, like I constantly marvel at the simplicity of moving from one country to another. And I, ha I, I don't know, I haven't heard the same thing from other people. They're like, oh man, shipping our shit and like finding a place to live. And no, everything fell into alignment so easily. And here I am. And I think this is probably the happiest I've been in 35 years. <laughs> Which is not bad, not bad at all. And I guess- No, I'll take it. If, if we sift through the, the words, your tip is get lucky, which is always smart. And, <laughs> and the second might be that go for it because it might just turn out to not be problematic. I mean, I think it's, it's easy for us to come up with, with reasons for not to do things. And I hear what you're saying is sometimes taking a chance is actually going to work out, but you'll never know if you don't take that chance. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, not in this instance, though. Um, I felt like I wasn't taking a chance. I knew, which is, which is sounds like crazy and hokey, but also that comes down to the way you know I live my life. Um, I try to be spiritually aligned with everything I do, uh, and and that means um, when I feel joy and happiness about something, I know it's right and to go forward. And that doesn't mean that like, I'm just waiting for a shit to be handed to me. No, like I'm, I'm working hard. And I was, I was interviewing, you know, I had interviewed with Riot. I was interviewing with PlayStation. I interviewed with a bunch of other companies to move to. And none of it felt right. Like the other companies that I was interviewing with, it was just hard. It was just really difficult. But when I interviewed with Freeletics, it was easy. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want easy. I, I don't think that everything in this world has to be tough. Let's let's try easy for once. And let's try the path of, it sounds a little bit like the whole path of least resistance. Philosophy. Yeah, it was Find very a place much. Where, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Let's look at the stuff that was not easy, because you okay. didn't you didn't just leave Rosie Disney to go to Munich. You left it and had a, a little right. bit of a hard stop in between. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about a company that does amazing things, but maybe at a high price for some of its people? Let's talk about <laughs> Blizzard. Yeah, so uh, Blizzard Entertainment, a uh, video game uh, company that makes World of Warcraft, Overwatch. Um, really good friend was at Blizzard. 
and they were looking for a product manager who was experienced in content. And he reached out to me and I said, hmm, yeah, I think I'd be interested. Um, and, and I left Disney for Blizzard. Uh, I left Star Wars. Uh, I left, I think, what was a really cushy job to you know, do something that was really hard and challenging. And that was to launch uh, Overwatch League, their, e their esports team that is set up like a professional sports franchise model within record time. And I really, really liked the man who hired me. Oh, he was a great boss. And like four months in, he got switched off the project, which is really common in a large company. When they see someone who's kicking ass at a project, they tend to not let them finish the project because they want that magic somewhere else. So they moved his magic somewhere else. And, uh, you know, he had come in and set up product slash program management, which is program management is like Microsoft's way of basically having a project manager and a program or a product manager combined into one. And it's super shitty, by the way, um, in my opinion, it's super shitty. I think you need to have those as separate jobs and separate disciplines because it's just way too fucking much. Um, and so there was really no buy-in for what I was doing. And, you know, that's, um, using like all these industry terms, no one really believed or supported what I was doing. And that made my job extra difficult. And I maybe knew, I maybe knew like a month in, maybe two weeks in actually that I had made a terrible mistake going to Blizzard because my values did not align with their values. And, uh, it was really an awful time for me. It was not a good time, uh, because things just kept getting worse. I kept feeling more out of control, unable to do my job. Uh, I couldn't achieve goals, but my goals were constantly switching. My duties were constantly switching and, and to be fair, you know, um, uh, when, when leadership doesn't believe in what you're doing, uh, it's, it's not just difficult for you, it's difficult for them as well. Because here they've been saddled with this whole program, you know, that someone else built and they have to inherit it and manage it when they don't know how to manage it, they don't understand the value of it, right? So, so like no one was really winning in this, in this environment, which really sucks for everyone, right? So luckily I, I got out, but um, I would probably say it was the worst experience, not just of my professional life, but of my personal life too, because I took a job that didn't align with my values. And uh, I would, yeah, I would definitely encourage anyone looking at anything they're doing to make sure they align with their values before doing it. So it becomes really hard to get up in the morning if you don't do that. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I, um, I would wake up and I would get in the shower and I would cry for 15 minutes because I had to go into work. <laughs> and, and honestly, other people, other people weren't like that there. Other people really enjoyed it. I did not enjoy it. So I don't want to paint this picture of, of this awful place where everyone was having a miserable time. Uh, this was just my own experience. No, I guess, 
Zach was there for what, 15 years or something like that? Uh, 16. Yeah. 16. Yeah. So yeah. either he cried so a for, lot or he really liked it. I guess no, it's the no, last one. Um, <laughs> no, he, he actually, I mean, he started like right out of college. So for those who don't know who we're talking about, this is my husband and we met uh, at Blizzard. So, and he was with Blizzard for 16 years until we moved over here. And, you know, he just kept going up and up and up. And there were always these, always these new challenges for him. So it was a really wonderful environment for him. Um, and he really got to accomplish a lot and learn a lot and grow in his career. So yeah, he had a great experience. Thank you for pointing that out, Klaus. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Also, it gives me a good chance to do a completely non-elegant uh, philosophical point, which is that since this is about the business of extraordinary experiences, there are experiences that for some people are ordinary or even terrible, while for others, they're extraordinary in a good way, even if it's roughly Definitely. the same experience, because we're people. And at the end of the day, it's people having experiences. See the elegant tie so, Yeah. Very elegant. And, and let, me, <laughs> let me just add to that elegance here, my friend. You can push um, on it like Disney does. Ooh. <laughs> um, so... I would go back and make that decision again. I would leave Disney and I would go to Blizzard again. <laughs> I would go through all of that again, not just because I met my husband, but holy fuck, did I learn a lot? You know, I, I would not be here now if I had not gone through that whole experience because I learned in the hardest way possible what I don't want, what I won't do. And I think most importantly, third, <laughs> what I'm capable of, right? Um, and, and I would have never learned that if I had gone and had a great time um, at this job. And um, what I think honestly really happened was this, was this was the second time I was being handed this lesson because the job before Disney was really similar to my job at Blizzard. I had been in a similar circumstance where I had taken a job that didn't align with my values, but I didn't learn. Um, instead, you know, I left for a job at Disney that did align with my values of who and what I am and what I believe in and the things that I want to build and create. Uh, so this was my second chance to really learn that lesson. And moving forward, God damn, I have learned that lesson. <laughs> it is like tattooed into my skin, like like some Game of Thrones like branding scene, right? <laughs> I, as somebody who uh, who crashed his company and is now uh, roughly a billion U.S. dollars in debt, I also know the feeling of having learned lessons the hard way that you're not going to forget anytime soon. And uh, wait, 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 how in debt are you? Well, right now I've I've managed to get rid of about, I've knocked about $200,000 off the debt uh, since the crash of last year. So right My now, friend, it's, it's less American. than a million now. <laughs> you're an American. You're in debt. You're an American. How good yeah. does that feel? <laughs> see, see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I don't think I need to do that again. I, I think that no. lesson will, uh, there are lessons there that will stay with me and I don't need to go through that machine. Uh, one more time and I'm no in no way out of it yet but at least it's moving the right way um 
that was a sidetrack for a moment to discuss the no, no, financial it's, it's life a, of Klaus. No, I think it's it's a wonderful sidetrack because I mean, like as we talk about these negative experiences, one of the things that really bothers me the most about I think the world and our culture is that we don't talk about bad things. We hold them inside and they just fester and they create this like partition away from the rest of people, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the like, and I'm so awful and I can't believe I made these mistakes. And it's like, what a shitty way to live. If you just talk about it, you realize like I've fucked up, you've fucked up. It's cool. We're human, like you were talking about earlier. So I, I think it's really important for us to be honest and authentic about these challenges in our lives. So bravo to you. See, to all of you listening, bravo to me. No, <laughs> I, I appreciate the sentiment and I, of course, share it. Um, I'm not sure I'd go back and do it all again, but let's let's look at that when I'm out on the other side. Then then maybe I'll say so. Right now, it feels a little bit like, uh, it's a little bit heavy. However, summing up some of this, the wisdom of Christy, give us three businessy experience design tips from your collected from your collected works. Mm, can I give you four? You can give me four. All right. You can provide four. extra value for free. Okay, fantastic. This is the fourth will be a bonus, but it's pretty important. Um, so when you're a product manager, there's, there's a lot of talk, um, maybe not even just as a product manager, but in any organization, like you've got to meet your goals. You've got to achieve goals set your goals, measure your goals, like OKRs, blah, 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 all this crazy talk, right? About goals. And it's, <sighs> goals are good. Goals are good. But I think you're starting in the middle if you're starting with goals, right? Product managers, we talked about like building the right thing and executing a clear roadmap, executing on the right thing, right? Um, but how do you understand how to build the right thing? And really it's about getting focus and clarity of purpose and how do you get focus and clarity of purpose is one <laughs> one is establish values for what you're doing right three or four values of what your your product is what you're building what your experience is right um so like when we talk about um let's take, let's take any value, right? So honesty, right? You want to create an honest experience, an honest product, and you always want to be honest towards your customers, right? So what honesty means to you is, is how you build your product, right? So suddenly you have these values where you have this rubric, you have um, like a force, uh, force function that is going to make you um, make hard decisions about your product, right? Everything you do goes back to this value of honesty, which then brings us back to goals. Every goal, number two, goals, every goal you set needs to map back to that value. It helps you reinforce that value. It keeps you on track more. And most importantly, you're saying yes to the right things. Yes to the honest goals that support your honest value, right? Um, and you're saying no to the things that could take you off track. You know, because when you go off track, that's like more money, more time, more effort. Uh, you get distracted, you lose that focus, right? So the third then, goals then map to your roadmap. So three, 
roadmap. This is your path. This is how you're executing. And this is where your actual, your goals come into fruition, where you're bringing them into reality. And it's where you're going. So you want to make sure that on that roadmap, every goal then maps back to that value. And you're executing on those values in like a physical manifestation sense, right? And then four, your bonus. Oh, the bonus. <laughs> bonus. Four is you have to measure what's going on. And this is where the data that everyone talks about in product management comes in. You need like three or four KPIs. Don't go, don't go measurement crazy. Don't have like a bazillion. Just pick three or four that really evoke where you're going on your roadmap, right? Um, and this might be a little bit nebulous, but it's... Think about how you can understand if you're performing or not, right? So that you understand like how many people are coming into your experience, how many people are signing up, right? So then your KPI is like, well, for this experience, we had 400 people sign up. Uh, we're going to now use a goal of say Facebook targeting, right? Next experience, we've used Facebook targeting. We've got 600 people signing up, right? So that's, that's measuring your goals and you can see that you're performing and it's like, well, okay, cool. We had 200 more people sign up because we did Facebook targeting. Did that make us enough money to go back and spend more on Facebook targeting again, right? And then you can make those decisions. And then you also can look at your Facebook targeting campaign and be like, hey, is this an honest representation of our company? Is this Facebook ad? you know, um, according to the values that we set initially, because if it is people go to your website, people go to your event. And if you have this value of honesty throughout your entire event, people are having a consistent experience with your brand and your company. Right? So these four things that get you focus also get you strategy and bring you unity in the experience and the business that you're creating. And they're very fundamental, but they get lost so easily because it's so easy to lose focus on what you're doing, which is why you set those values and you continue going back to them again and again. And it's okay if your values change over your time because companies grow and experiences grow and you grow as a person too. So, you know, it's, tr it's your values change. Look at, look at how you were as a kid and what you valued as a kid, as opposed to what you value now. Right. Ice cream. So it's okay. If, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never liked ice cream. I've never liked ice cream. I know I'm not human. <laughs> this, inter this interview is over. This, we're done. <laughs> I know done. actually, um, Zach was like divorce <laughs> and I'm all, no, you get more ice cream. You get my ice cream. And he's like, definitely staying married. <laughs> smart man, Zach, smart man. Does that, so does that help? Do you have any that questions around No, that? no, that is great. That is perfect. And I love the way you nicely package it together. It's uh, one of the skills yeah. of the pros. When you talk with, with, I get to talk with a lot of people, of course, also on the podcast, but I love that when you talk to creatives and you talk to artists, especially their passion and their, their vision is usually pretty strong and their storytelling is quite good. But when you talk with the people who understand the business side of creative processes, they know how to package. They know how to lay things out in an elegant way. So the four steps, or in this case, the four tips actually fit together elegantly instead of just being all over the place. And I, I love that ability. So thank you for 
not only giving you four tips, including a bonus one, but also <laughs> nicely so they link together. I love that. I have two questions left well, for All right. a round off phase. One is where to find you? Do you exist online? I mean, we could go to Munich, of course, but if people are not <laughs> in, the, in the vicinity of Munich, then do you blog? Do you have a YouTube channel? Where, what's your online presence on the interwebs? Wow. You know, are you on LinkedIn? Um, no. Yes, I am. I am on LinkedIn. Christy Cleveland Callanan on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Um, you know, I don't really do much social media uh, on purpose. So uh, I've found that it's not a really good headspace for me. Uh, I don't like the competition. I don't like the constant comparison. I do my best to stay in a constant state of joy and happiness. And, uh, you know, you go on Facebook, you, <laughs> you go on Twitter, and it's just shit left and right, left and right of negativity. So, um, so yeah, I, I've gone back and forth on if I should do some sort of like personal branding. And honestly, I don't fucking care. I just want to go in be a product manager and build shit for really cool companies and work with amazing people. And that's going to come to me whether I'm have a YouTube channel or not. So I choose not to. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I respond to messages on LinkedIn. Uh, I, you know, I'm on there maybe once a week answering um, messages from people. So you can find me there. Thank you. And then the last question, which I sometimes to my regret ask everybody I have on the show, is there <laughs> oh, something... No. Is there something that I forgot to ask you? Is there a question you feel has been overlooked or do you want to make a statement to the world? Now's your chance to take over the podcast for a short, short grace period. And then we round off. It's your moment now. Oh my gosh. Uh, see, I wish you had prepared me for this. I could think of something profound, but. Oh, well, that's on um, I think the best that I can do is maybe give some people places to go um, because I always want to be of service to others. So um, Marty Kagan is this really cool dude who's been in product management for like 20 years, uh, Silicon Valley product group. He's got really great articles. Uh, they can be really in-depth product articles. I mean, really intense. Uh, you know, for like people who've been doing this for like 10 years and you're, they read it and they're like, cool. Oh yeah, we get this. So if you're a novice, um, go easy on yourself when reading Marty, uh, you know, pick and choose, but damn, that guy's got some wisdom. He's so good. Um, I'd also recommend a book called everything is figure outable by Marie Forleo. She is this uh, New Jersey gal who is really great at breaking down business and uh, making business not profit-driven, but purpose-driven. Uh, I really like the way she thinks. A lot of what she does is cognitive behavioral therapy, but she puts it in a way that's just like super chill, um, you know, no, no crazy psychology terms, and it's really relatable. So uh, that's pretty, that's a pretty great book. I really like her. And then last, I would say there's a book by Gabby Bernstein 
called Super Attractor. And I think it's a really great book for creatives to figure out maybe a pathway to what they want. And when we're talking about the pathway of least resistance, um, helping get into a place of happiness uh, with your work and a place of acceptance and abundance with where you're going. Um, and I really, really liked it. It's, it's pretty heavy on the spiritual side, but it's also a really pleasurable and pleasant read. Um, it's really full of joy and I loved it a lot. So those are maybe off, a little off the beaten path, but they're cool. And I feel like I should spread the word about it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate it. For everyone You're out welcome. there. Thank you. For all of our listeners out there, you've heard Christy Cleveland Callanan. You've heard me, your host, Klaus Austin. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.